back, everybody. You're tuning in to another episode of Palarasa Podcast. This is your host, Chuy Juarez, here. And with me today, I have the honor of sharing the mic with Profe Vasquez, who will be who is an expert in the topic of DACA and, you know, a lot of related things to undocumented folks. Um, today, we're going to be talking about what we're going to be looking towards the issue of DACA and uh, what are some next steps to helping us out there, uh, dream, to helping us streamers out there and to what's to come according to what happened last month. So without further ado, we'll get started. Once again, this is a podcast to enlighten nuestra raza, to empower communities of color, and to most importantly, make our voices heard. So without further ado, we'll get started on this episode. Hope everybody enjoys it. So welcome back, everybody. Like I said, this is an episode that I have an honor to share the mic with Prof. Vasquez, who's an expert in the topic of DACA. And, um, you know, welcome to the show, uh, Prof. Vasquez. I know this is your first time, and I've been kind of like uh, wanting you to come on here and speak some knowledge, have you speak some knowledge on the topic. And, of course, there's a lot of other things you can talk about, too. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, like, according to the court ruling last month, uh, how is DACA looking right now for a lot of us uh, undocumented folks? First of all, thank you for letting me be in your show. I think that the community needs to, you know, learn about their culture, learn about what's happening with the Latinx community, the Chicanx community. And this issue with DACA has created a lot of stress in our community. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that people are failing to understand is that uh, it doesn't allow, the decision by the Supreme Court does not mean that the program will never be eliminated. Mm -hmm. What it means is that Donald Trump did not follow the procedure that is expected for him to follow in order for the program to be ended. Right. That procedure can take anything between six months and eight months, maybe. And he just didn't follow that procedure. But now the United States Supreme Court has told him what process to follow. And this is where it gets a little bit dangerous for our undocumented community, for our DACA community. Because now that he knows what he has to do, if reelected in November... It is likely that by mid-2021, he should be able to end the program. And uh, the head of the ICE agency has already said that if the program disappears the very next day, he will send his agents to start picking up people who have DACA and deport them from the United States. Wow. So that's the basics of it. And what I find really sad is that people are so used to just reading the headline uh, on any post and nobody ever reads the details. And so uh, the day that the decision came out, I was checking an Instagram account and the first thing that it said was Donald Trump cannot eliminate DACA. And that's all that people saw. And 700,000 people believed that Mm -hmm. when, in fact, that was a lie. So I didn't see it until 700,000 people had seen it. And many of them had liked it and and shared it and all this stuff. So I commented that that was not accurate. But it didn't make a difference because my small comment did not make a difference in people being misguided. And so a lot of what we're doing now is just spending time to clarify to the community that, in fact, DACA is temporary. It doesn't lead to, you know, residency, citizenship. And if Donald Trump gets reelected, he can get rid of it. And that's why the elections of November 2020 are so important, which is why we know that he's going to try everything to make sure that he's reelected from... Again, creating rules of not being able to vote via mail, even though we have the COVID-19 saying that, you know, people must be present in order to avoid uh, fraud Mm -hmm. in voting, when in fact that has never really been an issue, 
to now he's proposing that Congress work on another stimulus that is going to uh, possibly give individuals, especially U.S. citizens, a pile of money, and that's by, you know, buying the election for November of 2020. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like we've seen a lot of this, you know, in the past couple of years because of his presidency and stuff like that. It's just like kind of like bribing people to, you know, come in closer to him. And it's just him trying to attract the public, you know. But um, there are a lot of you mentioned like, uh, you know, the all these posts on Instagram and social media that, you know, a lot of people just, you know, unfortunately just read the headline. They don't look into the article or anything like that, which is like a problem with our, our community because we tend to go off of a just like kind of jumping on the bandwagon with everybody that you know like for example what's been happening on what's been going on lately um there's a lot of like misunderstanding that is within the black and brown community and uh the issue is that until we're comfortable and you know there's no tension between our own people there isn't going to be like a way for us to actually come together and like unite as one and it's just one of those issues that you know to this day is like you know, if we don't tackle our own issue, how are we going to be able to tackle uh, the bigger issue out, out there in the world for us? And um, like you said, DACA is not something that, you know, we want to make sure that people understand that this isn't a path to citizenship. It's like you said, it's temporary. And, um, you know, once when it first came out, it was like you had to fit these certain qualifications for you to be able to, uh, you know, obtain DACA. You had to be here by a certain, like, during a certain year or something like that, and under a certain yeah. age, right? And so um, yes. mm -hmm. the problem with that is that, you know, we're fighting for DACA, but we're, we should be fighting for the bigger picture, which is, you know, fighting for an immigration reform, right? Because there are a lot of people yeah. out there that, you know, don't have the, the, the chance to obtain DACA. And, you know, to this day, they're having to, you know, work under the table. You're, they're having to do things, uh, you know, in, under the shadows because there isn't that opportunity for them. And that's like a lot of the people that we forget to mention, a lot of the people that we forget to fight for, you know. So, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think there will, there were, there will ever be an immigration reform, like, to how we see things right now? Or, like, do you think it's just not, not an option? I think it's important to note a couple of things, and, and you spoke about two very important things, so I'll, I'll just make a comment on the piece that you made about the black and brown issue. One, a lot of brown people suffer from something that we call internalized racism or internalized oppression, and therefore they hate themselves. Mm -hmm. We hate ourselves, and then we hate anybody else that is darker than us, and that really has led to our self-hatred and the hatred for African-American brothers, sisters, or Lat uh, Afro-Latinos, Latinas, Latinx people, Afro-Mexicans, right? So racism is a deep, deep issue that we need to solve. And sadly, it's not just online, but the news media, as you know, we like to call them Telementiras and yeah. División, those two channels tend to create a lot of tension and maintain the tension between the Latinx community and the African-American community. And then coming back to this issue of DACA, again, it's important for people to understand that if they think that they may qualify for DACA, the requirements are simple. People must have shown up before June 15, 2007, mm -hmm. and they must have been under the age of 16, and then they have to prove that every 90 days between June 15, 2007 and today, they have been living in the United States. And for sure, June 12 of 2016, they also have to have evidence for that month. And then they must not have any type of legal status on that day, which means if you had uh, TPS, if you had a visa that was valid, you do not qualify for DACA. Um, and then, again, you must have graduated high school if you are older than 18, or if you are in high school, again, you must be doing well in school. It's really, really important to remember that. And a lot of people actually are not going to qualify. Some individuals have made minor mistakes when they were under the age of 18, perhaps, 
uh, either uh, smoking marijuana or maybe dealing with issues of gangs or maybe, you know, now that they're older, issues of domestic violence, drinking and driving, any of those things uh, can prevent people from getting DACA. And so people often say, well, a pile of people are going to qualify. No, there's a lot of people who don't qualify because of those factors. And then you're right, there's a huge number of people who didn't qualify, and I'm still getting phone calls on a daily basis, because they showed up literally two days later, Mm -hmm. or they have no evidence that they showed up before because they were working in the fields, because they were working at restaurants, because they never went to high school. All of these pieces are important here. And then, of course, the parents. So we have over 12 million people in the United States who are undocumented, who are not just Latino, Latina, Latinx, but we have Asian Americans, we have Canadian Americans, European Americans, African Americans, uh, all these people who came here. Interestingly enough, the data suggests that 50,000 Irish Americans are living in the United States illegally, yet you never see immigration arresting them. You always see on, again, Telementiras, on Division, on CNN, on all of these channels, all you see is black and brown people being arrested on a regular basis. And what can we do for them? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is this is not a Democrat and a Republican issue. This is an issue where Democrats, as much as Republicans, use undocumented immigrants for their benefit so that they can get elected or reelected. Recently, I was engaged into a dialogue with a student who said, you know, as soon as the Democrats take the House, the Senate, and the White House, if we can do it this November, you know, undocumented immigrants will get papers. Well, Hmm. if that was the case in 2009, when Obama was president, and the House and the Senate was being run by Democrats, they could have taken that issue, and everybody now would be moving towards having residency and eventually citizenship. But no, they need to have undocumented immigrants to be able to use them as foster uh, children or as foster individuals out there literally in the House of Representatives chambers, in the Senate, and be able to use those pictures. This person came as a child and we need to protect them, this and that, but they're not interested in getting them legal status. Uh, These are all moves that are political so that people will donate to their campaigns, but not because they're really interested in doing anything about it. What we need to do, if we're going to ever get legal status for everybody, is we need to go back to 2006 when we were having the largest marches in the planet, literally. L.A. had two million people marching in one day. There were people in Europe marching with us. And just in Sonoma County, California, the largest march had 13,000 people. And it is, in fact, the largest march in the history of the county. And so it's about bringing the numbers and saying, we will make sure our children do not vote for you again if you do not give us what we've been waiting for for so long. We have families that literally their parents will die outside of the country and they cannot go say their goodbyes because of the fact that they don't have uh, this piece of paper that allows them to leave the country. And again, unfortunately, the issue here is undocumented immigrants have been manipulated by the news, have been manipulated by politicians, and have been told, be grateful for what you have, because if you demand too much, you may be kicked out of the country. And we need to educate our parents or grandparents and everybody else that, one, the Latino, Latina, Latinx vote is the powerful vote, right? Between now and the next 12 years or so, every year, half a million Latinos, Latinas will reach the age of 18 and will be able to vote. This November, another half a million Latinos, Latinas will be able to vote. The question is, who will they vote for? And interestingly enough, a growing number of them 
are Republicans, conservatives who say people need to go back to their country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a sad reality. Uh, one of the things you pointed out was like, uh, you know, people who are running for office and stuff, they use uh, our undocumented people and minorities for, for themselves, you know, and it's kind of sad because it's like playing games with someone's life, you know. They're playing with the lives of many children that are caged up in cages that are to this day still there, even though, like, the govern- the governors or whatever have ruled that, you know, all concentration camps or whatever you want to call them are, you know, banned from, from, you know, being open. Yet to this day, they're still open. They're still taking people in. It's like, uh, you know, you say something and it goes one ear. It goes in one ear, it comes out the other. Like, they don't really care about the lives of many people who are in danger and you know ever since the pandemic broke out like imagine how many people are going to be you know let out with all this uh coronavirus going on without you know having to have like health care or somewhere where they can take care of their families because you know unfortunately a lot of people are going to die because of this you know but um it's just the way that we've seen like this government you know run things it's just unfortunate. It's it's devastating. And, uh, you know, when talking about politics, it's funny how a lot of people say, like, you know, they like Obama better than Trump. But in reality, like, when Obama was president, he was the one that deported the most people, you know, out of the country and stuff. And a lot of people just, you know, are the first to turn the blind eye on that. They don't like to talk about that. It's like a hard pill to swallow for them, you know, because, well, he did this and he did that. But yet again, he... He took out a lot of people, you know, and it's just, uh, it's unfortunate, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that he did, because he was so tired of, you know, getting pushback from people about the high number of individuals that he deported, uh, what he did is he came into an agreement with Mexico, and the agreement was that the United States would send billions of dollars to Mexico so that Mexico would stop all the people coming from the uh, countries of Central America and turn them around and send them back. That way he could say, look, at the U.S.-Mexican border, we're not stopping that many people anymore. Immigration, undocumented immigrants are under control, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, the Mexican government was doing the duty work for the United States. And so it's something that... A lot of people, you're right, a lot of people don't understand, and when you bring it up, they are either in shock because they didn't know that, or they simply come up with a comeback that absolutely makes no sense to try and protect him. I mean, when we go back to this issue of DACA, DACA didn't happen because Obama woke up one day and said, let's support the undocumented community. I have former students who are now in Berkeley and uh, Sacramento State University who literally lay down on the middle of the road in San Francisco to block entrance to the buses, to call attention to this issue, and they were arrested, and, you know, they were unfortunately in a situation where they could have been deported. They also went and interrupted Nancy Pelosi in one of her speeches that she was giving, where she, again, was using the undocumented community to get support so that she would get more funding for her campaign, all of that stuff. And those were some of my former students, and I'm very proud of them. But it was that type of action, that's what it took for Obama to actually do this executive order And so when people don't understand that, people say, oh, my gosh, Obama was so great. He gave uh, this undocumented people this, you know, this tool to be able to function in the United States. No, he was forced to do that. And that's why, again, I go back to the point of if anything is going to change, we need to force politicians to work for us. At Santa Rosa Junior College, there was an event, uh, what is it now, three years ago or so, where all these politicians came over to talk about DACA and how do we support undocumented students. And I was on the panel uh, representing uh, the college, but the interesting piece was if I had not invited one of my undocumented students who had gone over to 
protest Pelosi and all of this stuff, then it would be white, mainly men, mm -hmm. uh, talking with legal status, talking about the undocumented community, and once again, the, vo the voiceless continue to have no voice because somebody's talking about them as if they, they couldn't speak for themselves. In fact, they have a voice, they can speak for themselves, and it was beautiful when this young individual had the opportunity to take the mic and let them know that they didn't need to talk about this individual as if this individual didn't have a voice. They just didn't allow the voice to come through. And at some point during that conversation, I actually said it, look at this table, right? All of these people are U.S. citizens with the exception of one individual. We shouldn't be listening to them. They should be in the audience taking notes, and we should be listening to the undocumented community. And I know that that caused some friction, and some of the politicians were upset, and some of them, as soon as the event was over, they took off because they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. But again, as the saying goes, you have to speak truth to power, right? You have to question them publicly so that they cannot hide. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like you said, you can't expect for someone to talk about your struggle if, you know, they have nothing to do with it or have never, you know, experienced anything like that, especially if they're from a different race, you know. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you see a lot of the times where, you know, it's the other race talking about how they can support us and how they can help us. But, you know, and I know it's hard for our, our community to speak up because, you know, there's that tension of, you know, they're going to become a target now. People are going to go after them or whatever. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm guilty of that, you know, because I've had a lot of opportunities to speak up. And in the moment, you just got you just get caught up and you kind of just like it just kind of flies by your head. And, you know, you could have wished you said something, but you didn't. And, you know, it's just hard, I guess, coming from from me personally. But um, I have had like fellow like classmates and stuff and uh you know met your friends you know speak up and, and make their voices heard and speak for the ones that can't you know unfortunately uh you don't they don't feel comfortable speaking about it uh i know that's the case for a lot of us but um so getting back to daca like if are you able to like uh you know help students like fill out like forms right now or is everything up on hold or how is that that's a good question. So what I have as of today is I have 44 people on my list. Uh, so th there's different things that we are doing. One of the things that we are doing is we are telling people if they are going to turn 18 between now and December, they should consider applying for DACA. So they should gather all the paperwork. But it's a personal decision. We're not saying go apply. Mm -hmm. We are saying, think about it and think about the risks. Because if they apply today and Donald Trump tomorrow or November gets reelected, then again, these people are risking being kicked out of the United States next year. We need to stop thinking like many individuals did in 2016, where many people never thought that Donald Trump would become the president. And as a result of that, many people didn't vote. And so people, individuals who are educated, individuals who are, you know, vigilant, they're watching and they're watching his presidency crumble. And so they are already thinking, well, you know, for sure this time he's not going to get reelected. So I shouldn't have to bother to go vote. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what got us to where we are today. And so... For that reason, we are again saying to people, those are the only ones who should consider applying. And the reason is, when you're undocumented and you are under the age of 18, it doesn't matter. But once you turn 18, it, when you, your time starts counting against you in the United States, and if later on, let's say you get married to a U.S. citizen, you would have to leave the country in order to be able to get your status outside of the United States. The problem is when you leave the country, if you don't have a pardon from the United States for being here 
as an undocumented immigrant for a period of time, then you may have to leave for about 10 years before you can come back. Mm. And that puts you in a very serious situation. And so those are the only individuals that I'm willing to work with at this moment. I've spoken with our attorneys, and all of our attorneys are saying the same thing. Let's wait until after the elections for the rest of the individuals before we start filing DACA for the first time for many individuals. And then two, again, we are referring, I'm referring a lot of uh, individuals to the lawyers because, again, they had issues when they were minors. They had issues with maybe speeding tickets. They had issues with several things. And so for those, we're going to refer them to the attorneys, and the attorneys will decide which ones should really apply for DACA and which ones uh, shouldn't apply for DACA. And again, that is where the conversation is now. And yesterday I spoke with an individual who's going to turn 18 in August. And mom, dad, and the kid are going to sit down and talk with uh, each other in order to determine if it is worth risking it now or not. Mm -hmm. Because the other option that could happen for that kid, for example, is if he turns 18 and starts accumulating time as an undocumented immigrant, one of the things that he could possibly do later on, if he, let's say Donald Trump is not reelected, we apply for this individual in November to get legal status through DACA, then that individual would get temporary status, but would have accumulated a few months of being undocumented. And then maybe if, advanced parole goes into effect sometime in November, December, then when the kid gets uh, DACA, the kid could leave the country for humanitarian reasons. Maybe his grandpa, his grandma are very sick in another country for educational purposes or for work. And as a result of that, if that kid left the United States even for a day and then comes back legally with advanced parole, that kid, if he gets married to a U.S. citizen, shouldn't have to uh, obtain a pardon, shouldn't have to leave the United States to get their uh, visa outside the United States because now they came and established that they came in legally, and as a result of that, they should be able to get legal status in the United States. So these are the type of conversations that we are having with the attorneys and with the kids. Uh, Since I am not an attorney, I cannot give legal advice, but I go to our attorneys, and then our attorneys say, this is the options. Okay, then I explain it to people in simple language, in Spanish, for the parents and everything else. But the other thing that is the positive thing here is that just in the last couple of weeks or so since this uh, decision from the court happened, the positive thing has been that we have been able to identify five or six youth who qualify for first-time DACA applicants, but they actually also qualify for a special program called Special Immigrant Juvenile Status. And that is that one of these kids uh, was abandoned, neglected, or abused by at least one of their parents. And if we can prove that to the court, that it is not healthy for this child to go back to their home country and it is not healthy for this child to reunite with their parents, then these kids can get legal status, which is residency and eventually citizenship of the United States. Mm -hmm. So it's better than DACA. And so I already referred a few to an attorney that deals specifically with that. And we are waiting for a couple more to communicate with me so that then I can refer them to that attorney. And again, that has been the positive. You don't have to apply for DACA. In fact, we're going to get you something even better. And so the rules for that, again, the individual has to be under the age of 21, single, and again, they have to uh, have some type of evidence that they have been the victim of abuse, neglect, or abandonment by at least one parent. And an example that I use on a regular basis on this issue is maybe your dad got upset with mom and left the country and you haven't seen your dad in four years and he is not giving uh, any type of child support for you. 
Or the other one is maybe your dad got arrested for drinking and driving and he's going to be doing a year in jail or for some of the reason he got deported. All of those cases may qualify an individual under the age of 21 and single to qualify for um, this special program. Or those kids who end up coming to the United States on their own or they are here with an aunt. Um, mm-hmm. And so those kids may qualify for that program. And so I'm really happy to you know, share that because there are, again, possibly, you know, I would say in this community, another 10, 15 that soon should come out, reach out to me, and then we'll refer them to the attorneys. And that's a benefit for the community. And, and so is that like the same thing as the U visa that you mentioned? Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, that's a good question, I should say. The U visa, you must have been a victim of a crime. And when you're reported to the police, the police usually will ask you if you're willing to testify if it comes down to that. And in those situations, that's the where you can use that police report and a signature from somebody at the police agency to apply for the U visa. And that's a long, long process that now may take up to 10 years because too many people, or not too many people, but a lot of people apply and the U.S. government only gives 10,000 visas, U visas, a year, usually starting on October 1st, and usually within a couple of days those are gone. Mm -hmm. In 2015, 72,000 people applied for the U visa, so now the wait is about five years for people to get the U visa, maybe a little bit longer. I was checking recently, and they're working on files from 2016, March, I think, of 2016. So, again, it takes a long time. Then you get the U visa. Then you are on probation for four years. And on the last year of probation, you apply for residency, which then can take 10 months to a year and a half. And then, you know, you're on probation for a while until you can become a citizen. So that's that program. The special immigrant juvenile status is completely different. If you apply today, in a couple of years, if all goes well, maybe three years, you can become a resident of the United States. Wow. Yeah, because... um. And it's crazy because, you know, the U visa and stuff like that, uh, people just keep applying and the offices that are working with that, they just keep adding people to the list and the list goes on and on and on. And it's uncertain to let people know, like, when they're going to hear something back, you know, if they even get the opportunity to uh, have that granted to them. But um, I didn't know about that youth, uh, the youth one, which is, uh, you know, something that maybe... Whoever's listening out there, uh, you know, may have the opportunity to apply and in the long run, uh, you know, hopefully obtain that. So uh, thank you for sharing that. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's, uh, that's cool. Yeah, most people are not aware of that. And um, every day, one of my greatest regrets is not having learned about that program long ago because uh, as a result of that, I could have you know, ended up with many of my former students benefiting from that program. I have one in mind that, uh, you know, I, I've, I've apologized to him for not knowing that information multiple times, and he says it's okay, but in my heart, I will never be okay with the fact that I, I didn't know. He has DACA now, yeah. but... Um, he would be the perfect candidate for this visa. And if I had only none, he would be a citizen by now. And he wouldn't have to worry about financial aid for the university and all of the stuff. So it's really, really challenging when you find something out and you're like, wow, if I had known that three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, how different the lives of these individuals would be. And then the other piece, whether it is with a special immigrant youth visa or the U visa is that Congress, all they have to do is take a quick vote and say, we're going to extend the U visa to 50,000 of them every year. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you take care of the problem that we have now, where instead of waiting four, five, six years just to get the U visa, that it could happen in a year. But again, 
a lot of people, they get the letter that says, yes, you qualify, now you have to wait for a visa. And it's the same situation at this moment when an individual, let's say, of Mexican descent who is a U.S. citizen applies for his brother or sister to become a resident of the United States. It's taking now close to 21 years before that happens. And so what we are seeing uh, with people from Mexico, what we are seeing from people from the Philippines, is parents die before they can ever get the visa to come to the United States. Um, Brothers and sisters die before they can get legal status in the United States. And again, it's a faulty system. And anybody who said, just get, you know, in line and eventually you'll get your chance, there is no line. Yeah. And that is the lesson that it takes me about an hour to train my students in my classes about there is no line. And let's talk about why people even come to this country. And most of it is because the United States went to our home countries and destroyed our economy, created civil wars, and you know created the need for us to migrate to this country. And when they hear this in my class, U.S. citizens, whether they are brown, whether they are Asian, whether they are African-American, and whether they are white, many of them get very defensive, and that's okay. Because when you are learning something new and different, it's always going to be difficult for you to accept it. And so I invite them to go do research. It's the same thing with DACA. It's the same thing with any of these programs. Go do your research, and if you have a disagreement, it's okay to have a disagreement. But at least I have forced you to learn a new reality. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of like switching switching points, uh, talking points uh, with the whole issue of talking about, like, uh, being undocumented and, you know, all this going on. I know it's, it's a hard topic for a lot of families to talk about, you know, especially when, uh, you know, it's something that revolves around you every single day of your life you know when you wake up and it's the same thing uh you're having to worry about these certain things that you know that the time the moment that you walk out of your door you don't know if you're going to be coming back home or not so um you know with this topic and like these issues and stuff comes a lot of trauma um my question to you is like what is some advice or something you recommend families do and uh, just to kind of keep their mental health like like you know at a standpoint where you know they can just feel like you know a little bit you know of hope or you know some something that they can use to to better their mental health or and keep it like stabilized with all this these issues going on like what do you what do you recommend yeah there are multiple issues that people who are undocumented will not talk about. And I'll focus specifically on the Latinx community. And that is, people will not talk about uh, teen pregnancy, for example. They will not talk about uh, money with their children, and they for sure will not talk about issues of mental health and being undocumented. And so we all are suffering in silence. People, uh, kids may have questions as to how is it that I don't have papers, right? Mm-hmm. Why is it that I have to keep it a secret? Why is it that, right, I will always remember when we started doing DACA applications here for individuals at Santa Rosa Junior College as volunteers, and I remember I was welcoming families one time because I had to be at the door or to welcome them so that they would feel comfortable to even come in the door and receive training. Right. And I remember this class, this room has about 65 seats, and I will always remember, I welcomed this lady with her son, and they brought their paperwork, and I welcomed them, and as soon as they, I said, please come in, find a place to sit, and as the 16-year-old started walking towards the back with his mom, he saw his absolute best friend in the back of the the classroom. Wow. And he ran over and his friend stood up and they gave each other a hug and they started crying. They had been best friends since they were three years old. They had been neighbors. They had gone to school together. They were now 16. 
And the only secret they had kept from each other was that they were both undocumented. And it was such a relief to now openly be able to talk about their trauma of mm -hmm. not having somebody they could trust. So even though they had known each other all this time, they had been told by their parents, you can never trust anyone about being undocumented. And it was our event that brought them together. And that, I almost started crying myself because we had provided the opportunity for these individuals to stop lying to each other so that their friendship for sure could be unique and, and positive and all the stuff. Um, and then the other piece is the moms then approach each other and they hug each other and they started crying as well because, again, they had, the adults had kept this secret from each other as well and it didn't have to happen anymore. And so you can only imagine, for those who are listening to this conversation, and if you are a U.S. citizen or resident or you never had to worry about immigration, you can only imagine that feeling of having to keep one of your biggest secrets yourself. Mm -hmm. and within the family. And sometimes parents will threaten their kids, if you tell anybody, I could lose my job. If you tell anybody, we could lose our house. If you tell anybody, we could all end up back in a country that you may not remember because we brought you at two years of age and you're now you know, 12 or 13. And it's such guilt not being able to be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. I had a. I have had many examples of kids. One kid was dating this uh, white uh, college student. They were both in college, but one was at the university and the other one was at Santa Rosa Junior College. And it was the boy whom I had known since he was thirteen, who at the age of nineteen asked me to be present when he told his girlfriend that he was undocumented and the only reason why he needed to tell her was because she was tired of always driving and she kept insisting that she should drive one day and he should drive another day when they would go on dates. Yeah. But she also wanted to travel to uh, France with him and she also wanted to go to Hawaii with him and this is before DACA and so I was, you know, they, we went to dinner, and then as we were driving home, he's in the front seat next to me, and she's in the back seat, and I'm nudging him to say, okay, this is the time, we're going to get to her house soon, and you haven't told her, and all I got was, you tell her. And I finally had to tell her, because I love this kid like my own son, and I had to tell her, and she broke down, and she cried, and I finally had to tell, tell her to stop crying because this wasn't about her, but she made it about her because she was no longer going to go to Hawaii or France with him. She failed to understand how painful it was for him to actually have to reveal this to her. And within a month, she broke up with him. It was wow. too much for her. Right? So this is the pain that these individuals carry. Now, what can we all do? Uh, multiple things. Uh, when people talk about self-care, right? So we need to talk with the family about being undocumented, right? It cannot be just kind of a one-time discussion, but we need to talk about the fact that um, you can still go to college in many states of the United States even if you're undocumented, that you can exercise many different um, careers in different states or that you can start your own business. And once you start putting stuff like that on the table, then you can talk about mental health from the point of view of maybe as a family we need to go to therapy. And maybe as an individual I need to go to therapy even if my family chooses not to go to therapy and there are many resources. Here in Sonoma County, we have Humanidad Therapy and Educational Services, specifically trained uh, therapists 
on how to work with undocumented immigrants, how to work with Latinx, how to work with all these marginalized communities in institutions or organizations like this are hard to uh, to come by at this moment, but there are a few out here in the United States that definitely are trying to learn those tools to be able to be more compassionate and empathetic when working with the undocumented community. But the biggest thing that we need to do is what you're doing, and that is publicly talking about it. Because if individuals hear that somebody on the radio, somebody in a podcast, somebody on TV is talking about being undocumented, that in itself says, oh, I too count in this conversation. And that's why when you say that you have given up some opportunities before to speak up about being undocumented, all this and that, yes, but you now are moved to do so because you've seen other people doing that. So we need to stop hiding it and we need to put it up front and say, yes, this is my situation. And then people will naturally come and say, how can I support you to achieve your goals your dreams in life right and i mean my my whole uh, you know the reason for starting this whole podcast was to you know be able to tell a little bit of my story and not really expose myself as much you know and you know mm-hmm. you know little by little you know i'll be talking about topics like that are really personal and stuff but you know the fact that i'm getting my story out there as an undocumented individual is not for people to like feel sorry for me or like mm-hmm. you know you know whatever you know it's not for for me to be out there put on a pedestal pedestal or whatever looked up as like someone important it's for me to just kind of get my viewpoint of what I have to go through every day what I have to go through you know 24/7 in my life you know it's something that mm-hmm. you know for a lot of us we have to work not twice as hard, but three times as hard as other individuals out there, you know? And, you know, I'm, I'm in a situation right now where I could have had my, my updated DACA and everything, but because I had applied for the U visa back in 2015, uh, you know, when it was time for me to renew my, my DACA back in March of this year, I went ahead, did the paperwork and everything, you know, paid the $500, and it ended up being it ended up resulting in you know getting a letter from US, USCIS and saying like your case has been rejected because this and that and so you know for someone like me to spend $500 on on an application you know one time for every 2 years it's it's hard you know because you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck but um you know that's something that I didn't get back and so now the only thing I have right now is an extension of 180 days, which gives me the opportunity to find employment. But yet again, it's so hard to find someone that will accept the application extension that, uh, you know, I'm having to work a dead end job that is just not, you know, it's not, I mean, for me, it's just not mentally right. You know, it doesn't feel right. It's like me having to start all the way from the bottom when, you know, a couple months back I had a decent job with decent pay and I was making ends meet, you know, no, no problems or anything, but that's just the reality that we have to, you know, still put up with a lot of things. And for example, once my DACA expired and everything, I lost my driver's license and my social security that I was given, you know, doesn't work with, without your card being updated, you know, so that like puts a big hold on everything. And, uh, you know, with the pandemic coming in hand, like it didn't help at all either because, that's when all the government offices started coming to close. And for me to, you know, send them the application for a work permit authorization, I had to get a valid passport, which mine had recently expired. Like, what are the odds of that, you know? So it's just, uh, you know, in the past couple months, it just felt like everything is just crumbling down. And, you know, it's hard to come by, you know. You just kind of sit there and, you know, realize that it's been really hard lately and, you know, you kind of don't see the the light at the end of the tunnel, but you know, we're we're the type of people that we don't like to give up. You know, even if 
you know, like we said, we're suffering in silence. And I'm guilty of that because, you know, I've tried therapy before and it worked for a little bit, but it wasn't really like my thing, I guess, you know, and it's wrong to say that because it's hard to just open up to somebody that you don't really like, you've never really seen, you know, but in in the long run, it kind of helps here and there. And, you know, I, I like you said, our families are kind of like uh, an issue with that because I tried my I tried to get my family into therapy. I tried to get my parents and their response was, for example, like my mom, I told her, like, you know, you should come to a therapy session with me one time and, you know, we can talk about things like this and that. And maybe you can get started on it, too. And her response was like, you know what, mijo, like, I'm I'm way too hurt, you know, like, I don't think there's anything that can fix my pain. And she just has that open wound that, like, you never know when, when it's going to be closing, you know. Same thing goes with my dad, you know. I don't have the opportunity to share a lot of feeling with my dad. And, you know, it's sad to say that to this day... I haven't really been, like, given the opportunity to tell him, like, hey, dad, you know what? I love you, you know? It's that feeling that, like, you know, I see my dad and he's getting older and I get worried because, you know, it. it I don't know if I'm going to be able to tell him that before he leaves, you know? And it's hard to, to put that into perspective, you know? Maybe a lot of people can relate to that. Maybe a lot of people can't. But it's just one of those things that, you know runs through my mind every day and especially now because you know i moved out i'm only like you know 30 minutes away from my house with my parents but you know now i i, I do cherish everything that i had when i was in in the home with them and stuff and you know i can see them uh you know kind of sad here and there but like i tell them like you know we have to start our own path and and get moving forward on our own on our own feet you know because we can't always rely on on you guys to for everything you know even though they gave us everything i feel like i would never be able to like recompensate them for what they gave me you know come here to this country give me a better life and because of them i'm obtaining a higher education getting a degree but you know i am doing it for them but most importantly i'm doing it for myself you know so that's the important thing about you know being able to get your story out there and you know i feel like nowadays a lot of people are doing the same thing and that's how that's how community works, you know, that's how empowerment works, that's how we push each other to, you know, get out there and be better, and, uh, you know, just keep fighting for what we've always been fighting for, but, um, yeah, but yeah. yeah and, and one of the things that, um, well, I'll say two things about therapy, one, when people go to therapy, Good therapists are not going to solve your problems for you. Good therapies are going to listen to you and over time teach you the process of how you solve the issues for yourself so that you don't have to go back to therapy. Yeah. And so that's one, right? Um, and, and whether the therapist explained that the first day or not is another conversation that we can have, but... That's really the purpose of therapy, and that's why it takes so long, and sometimes uh, people give up after, you know, three months, six months. The other piece that has to do with therapy is you have to be willing to trust that individual. And again, if we go back to my example about being undocumented and not being able to share that with people, eventually it's not just growing up, it's not just about being undocumented. But you also stop keeping, uh, you know, you, you uh, keep secrets about many other issues with your family, with your friends, with your partner, with everybody. And this is what Robert Blythe calls the bag that we all carry behind. Mm -hmm. And what he says is children are able to jump and run and do all this stuff without any worries because they haven't had the opportunity to start carrying secrets and pain and trauma in the bag. And then you turn to an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, they're not jumping, they're not running the same way as a two, three-year-old because they have all this stuff that they haven't been able to work on and they keep it to themselves. And that brings me to Dr. Maria Hess, a psychotherapist, and she says, Trauma is the gift that keeps on giving. Our parents went through a lot of trauma and then they passed it on to us. And if we don't heal, we will pass it on to the next generation and they will do the same. 
And that's why it's so important to speak out loud about our traumas because then it loses its power over us. It's when we keep it secret, when we keep it to ourselves, when we keep it in the home, that it continues to have power. The same is true for domestic violence cases, as child abuse cases, as being undocumented. If we don't speak up about it, then it controls us. And then when you when you have the power, when you get that energy to say, you know, I'm undocumented, so what? But let me tell you how my day is every day because of being undocumented. Uh, You're right. It's not about telling people the story so that they feel sorry for us. It's about telling people the story so that for the first time they can understand multiple things, including that this country forced my family to migrate to the United States because of economic reasons or violence that this country perpetuated on my country. And that is how people start understanding that they need to stop being quiet and just accepting whatever the news tell them, but to really do their own research and actually take action to prevent further abuse of power from this country. And so that's what it is. The moment you start speaking up, all that silence, all that privacy issues, all goes away, but then you feel more empowered. And the more you tell the story, the more you like sit up straight and you feel more comfortable. And eventually you can look at people in the face when you're telling them your story because it no longer controls you. Right. That trauma is no longer there, and that's what we call healing. But in order to heal, you have to speak up about your issues. And I found that, uh, you know, in my 20-something years, 24 years almost, of working with youth, I found that to be the case every time. And finally, that's why I decided to write my book, um, Fulfilling the Dream, I only the Spanish version is out and the English version is coming out mid July 2020 because the original version was in Spanish to teach immigrant families from Latin America how to support their children with all of these issues from being undocumented to how do you teach them about finances to again uh, the traumas that we go through. And then the English version is very similar, but it starts with an introduction that includes why we migrate to this country. Because mm-hmm. it's not meant for the undocumented immigrant. It's meant for the teachers, the administrators. It's meant for you know social workers and all of these people who don't understand our traumas and that need to understand it so that they can be better advocates, so that they can be more supportive. And most importantly, so they can be more understanding, right? Mm. And so that's the thing with trauma, that if we allow it to persist, then we'll pass it on to our children. That's why there's such high levels of alcoholism in the Latinx community, domestic violence, child abuse, so on and so forth. Right. And... um Wow, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm at loss for words right now. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's just our world, right? I mean, mm-hmm. gotta work for things and expect the least, cause you never know what's gonna be coming around the corner, right? And yeah. um, but yeah, if you uh, if you wanted to, if it's okay with you, like if people have any questions about like DACA and stuff like that. Um, we're here in Sonoma County. I don't know where, where people are listening from, but would you be comfortable like sharing somewhere where they can reach out to you, like a social media platform or um, somewhere where they can just get a hold of you and you know maybe answer some questions for them or where they can obtain your book if you want to give uh, that out to people and have them purchase your book as well? Yeah, so... We have uh, multiple ways where people can get a hold of me. I have my Facebook page. You know, there's a lot of people who no longer use Facebook, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. My Facebook page is DACA Sonoma County. And then my Instagram is Lideres 
del futuro with a double o at the end uh, and people can just you know either follow my post about immigration about anything i post about many different topics and then possibly the fastest way for people to get a hold of me via email is líderes del futuro one word at yahoo.com again líderes del futuro at yahoo.com Or if you are in the Sonoma County area, even if you're just in California, if you want to check in, um, you can call 707-527-4585, 707-527-4585. And I do get a lot of emails and phone calls, so please be patient if it takes me a couple of days to get back to you. I feel grateful that the information we are trying to support the community with in regards to DACA, that the information is getting out there because the other day I got a phone call from somebody in Idaho or Ohio, I think it was Ohio, who had heard uh, or had seen a post on DACA Sonoma County, saw my phone number, called me up at the office and we were able to ease their anxiety about applying for DACA. And so, again, we're here to serve, and that is our purpose in life. At the end of all education, um, our purpose becomes uh, service to the community. And that's paraphrasing uh, Cesar Chavez, but that's kind of what it is. My job was to go to the university, and now I have a few tools And with those tools, I do my best to support the community. Um, and in regards to the book, the Spanish version is Logrando Tus Sueños, Una Guía para Padres Migrantes Viviendo en los Estados Unidos. That's available either on Amazon or um, Barnes and Nobles, any of those places. So if you, you know, whatever you are, if there is a bookstore, you can go to the bookstore and just give them the title. My name is Rafael Vasquez, and you can just ask them to order it for you if you don't want to use Amazon. Um, and then the English version is titled Fulfilling the Dream, and that one should be out on July 15th. It's now with the uh, with the final preparation of the graphic uh, for the cover, and then it will go to print. But it should be available again by the 15th of July, and if not, you can reach out and uh, we'll let you where to find it. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, before we go, I just wanted to, you know, publicly say thank you for everything that you have done for our community here in Sonoma County and, uh, you know, neighboring communities as well. I've known you for a couple of years, and, you know, for the longest time I was that kid that, you know, was quiet and, you know, sat in the back of the class at the meetings and stuff like that. And I remember, like, the first time you reached out and you are like, why, why do you never talk or anything, you know? And it, I was like, oh, like, fuck, you know, like, he put me on the spot or something. But, um, you know, it's been it's been a long time, uh, you know, that I've had the the honor of working with you and volunteering and stuff like that and hosting events and stuff. So I wanted to just, uh, you know, publicly thank you for the hard work you've done for a lot of us, actually. And, um, you know, not just on being able to attend college and, and be able to meet you and but also like attend your classes get informed about certain topics and, uh, you know, on a personal level too, uh, where we can openly talk about issues that, you know, are bothering us and, uh, you know, little things that have come with bumps in the road. But, you know, with all that being said, I couldn't be more uh, appreciative of all the work you've done and, uh, you know, help me alongside with my family and my little brother. And um, just know that whenever you need anything, I'm not sure what I can offer you, but you can always count on me for a helping hand. And, um, you know, I look forward to, you know, in the long run, just being able to work with you more and uh, volunteer and, you know, keep doing what we love. And, you know, that's helping our, our own people and helping out the community and getting the stories out there that are not um, heard, of, heard of every day. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for that. And, um, you know, just you keep doing you and you keep shooting for the stars for everybody because without you, honestly, there wouldn't be that motivation that a lot of us have to keep going forward to, you know, wanting to help our, our communities out and our families as well. Well, I want to thank you for your kind words and 
again for the opportunity to be in your show i think that it is important for people to understand that when people talk about the um what's the purpose of life uh, i truly believe that the purpose of life is to be of service to those around us especially when you're privileged to be perhaps part of the middle class instead of pretending that the lower classes uh, that the poor that the homeless don't exist you're mm-hmm. supposed to reach out and say let me show you how i did it and then let me support you while you get there type of thing in all this while you challenge those who are trying to take advantage of all of our communities and so i want to thank you for allowing me to be here and share a little bit of knowledge and again anytime you want to uh, check in let me know and we'll make the time and we'll make uh, ourselves available Thank you.